that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird, and that's Andrew Gillis. And it's a Wednesday pod, which means it's a news pod, which means once again, we're going to spend the first 10 minutes running down the long list of physical ailments that the Ohio State football team is dealing with going into another game. They play Minnesota in what is also Senior Day, last home game of the year at 4 o'clock on Saturday. Nathan, let's just get to it. Let's get to the list. We've got the list has kind of evolved a little bit, though. It's not the same exact names. It's a lot of different names. Let's start with Lathan Ransom. What are the chances that he is back on the football field at any point in the month of November? Oh, I'd say zero in November. And I would say even if Ohio State wins at Michigan, the way Ryan Day talked today did not sound like he would be a candidate to play in a Big Ten championship game either. And that's more pessimistic than they've been at any point until obviously the turn was last week. You know, uh, Day had not really given any timelines on Ransom, but certainly had had every opportunity to say it was, you know, season ending or long term. And he didn't do that until Saturday. So um, Jim Knowles today uh, also uh, in response to a question I asked, which wasn't really asking for an update, but he said something along the lines of how bad he feels for Lathan because it, it appeared the injury, which we believe is a lower body injury, was like lower leg injury was getting better. And then it just some sort of reversal happened or it just wasn't getting better fast enough. So anyway, yeah, Ohio state has to figure out a way to defend Michigan without one of its best defensive backs. So Andrew, just sticking with the, with the ransom thing, what does that mean for Ohio state's secondary over the next couple of months? It, obviously we've seen Sonny styles and Jordan Hancock step into that role, but specifically for a guy like Sonny styles going into the next two weeks, how does that maybe change how Ohio state can use him? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to have to move some guys around. Um, you know, I, when, when we talked to Jim Knowles today, you know, he kind of mentioned that, that Jihad, like he, he got asked about Jihad Carter and he mentioned Jihad Carter being kind of a vital depth piece because you're not going to be able to just play Sonny and you probably don't want to just play Sonny at one spot because of all the things that you can do. So you're going to move some of these guys around and you're going to have different pieces that are going back and forth from one another. So, um, you know, this, it, it kind of means to me, like in the way that I took this too, I think was that you look at the secondary, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. I made this point when we, um, when we did one of our videos, like in, if you've seen the movie Moneyball, they say, you know, you can't replace one guy with a one for one. You can't replace Johnny Damon with a one for one, but you can replace him in the aggregate. And I think that that's what you're going to try to do. You're going to try to put guys in different situations, put guys in unique situations that are going to help them, you know, play. You hear this a lot with Sonny Styles. They want him to play fast. Um, you know, Malik Hartford, he's a guy who they've kind of praised. And Ryan Day said today he's not as wide eyed as he was like when he first, you know, because he, he played early on. And, and now it's, I mean, two plus months after that game, you know, you, you grow a lot in your freshman year, both physically and mentally. And, you know, it sounds like Malik Hartford has done that. So, there's going to be a little bit of a rotation. It sounds like you're not going to be able to just replace Lathan Ransom one for one. Um, and it, it's going to be a challenge, but I think Nathan was asking this question. I think you asked this to both Ryan and to, to Jim, if I'm not mistaken, Nathan, where you said, is this secondary in a better position than it was a year ago to maybe handle this? And I think Jim immediately said, Oh yeah. You know, it was kind of one of these like, Oh, absolutely type answers. So you, you don't, 
feel like the sky is falling when you lose Lathan Ransom. It's a big deal, but it's certainly not like a death knell to the secondary like it may have been a year ago. I mean, the secondary clearly is in better position to to absorb a significant injury. That doesn't mean that this isn't still a downgrade, and I'm not saying that as a criticism of anyone. It's just that Lathan Ransom was a two-year starter in this defense for a reason, and they had Sonny Styles playing where they did for a reason, and the, the combination of skills, kind of that complementary aspect that he and Jordan Hancock had, worked so well. And now you're taking Styles away from the ball, farther away from the ball at Bandit, and giving him, it's a different level of responsibility, different set of responsibilities, and you're making Hancock more like the full-time nickel. And Knowles did say today, he was quick to correct, because someone asked about Jahad Carter, and he said that's a good point, that he has come back healthy, and you know he's going to be in the mix too. This isn't just necessarily a one-for-one Styles thing, because Styles has to be able to do other things, which I took as him you know, potentially maybe wanting to have him available um, at um, nickel still for, for certain things um, or, 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 you know, as that sort of that Sam linebacker hybrid thing, if they need to use it against a team like, like Michigan is, is a thing to keep in mind. Um, but I, I also asked Knowles before I asked that question, I asked, are there things that Sonny gives you that Lathan Ransom didn't? And beyond kind of chuckling and saying like, well, he's taller, uh, but there is, there's something to be said for size. He has a size, he has a wingspan, he has a reach that uh, is um, significant. He, he also still is a rangy player. And that's always been the, the attractive part of Sonny Styles as a, as a fit anywhere on the field was that with that size, he didn't have diminished range and quickness and speed. And we've seen him utilize it so many times around the ball, you know, near the near the line of scrimmage. He'll just have to try to utilize it in a different way. And he also brought up that in those nickel situations, he's had to match up with slot corners, uh sorry, slot receivers in the open field a lot and gotten a lot of coverage experience. Now I think there have been times where he's also looked a little exposed that way, but I that he probably should at this stage of his career. You match him up against a good slot receiver, he's not going to win every battle there. He's a second-year player who's young for his his class and is still, you know, developing into the full player he will be someday. So there's there are reasons to be still optimistic about this setup with Sonny Styles playing Bandit now uh, and and with confidence that Jordan Hancock can continue doing the things he's done well at nickel. I just also think that uh, it's not a, I don't think it all just comes out in the wash here. There's probably something that Michigan, when they scout this game, will see that they might be able to take advantage of with this new setup that they would have had a harder time taking advantage of with Lathan Ransom in there and Sonny and, and Jordan Hancock splitting nickel. So I'm just very curious how Ohio State maybe um, preempts that looks ahead and sees where it's vulnerable and what it might be able to do to negate that. I am almost wondering who's out there when Sonny is, because depending on what the offensive personnel is, sometimes their base is always Sonny Styles, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor, when everybody's healthy. And then depending on the personnel is where Sonny is, whether he's in the nickel slot situation or he's playing more of that Sam linebacker role. Sometimes they'll push him back because Lathan Ransom is up. But their base is now a more prototypical nickel with a cornerback just in that situation. But there's probably going to come some come some times, especially against Michigan, where Sonny's going to be back at that Sam linebacker spot. 
I am wondering what the personnel is on the field in that situation. Do they keep keep Jordan Hancock out there, or do they go with a Malik Hartford or Jihad Carter and put him in there as well? Because you don't have the same versatility to just stay with your starting 11 anymore since Lathan Ransom is not going to be playing. Hartford did play better this past week. I think Ryan Day said today he, he graded a champion, I, I believe. Yes. So that's a good thing. That's, I think that's a good thing long term. I don't know if it tells me he's ready to go make big plays against Michigan, but we'll see. I will, you know, from watching that Penn State game the other day and basically watching any game Michigan's played for the past couple of years, at some point they're going to get in the second level and they're going to get something going. Blake Corm, Donovan mm-hmm. Edwards, it's going to happen. You've got to have guys who have awareness and quickness and can get the angle to go over and pinch that off before it becomes the kind of explosive touchdown that Ohio State uh, got just killed by last year in that game. A lot about Malik Harford's playmaking ability, but I'm not sure how much of that translates two weeks from now as a true freshman <laughs> versus a year from now where yeah. it's like, okay, he's because he kept talking about how he catches the ball, he gets his hands on balls. Okay, that means he might be able to generate some picks, but that doesn't necessarily matter against Michigan, who's not interested in letting J.J. McCarthy just let it rip. Yeah, I'm, I'm not down the, the poo-pooing it by any means. I think it's yeah. great news for this secondary next year, and it's mm-hmm. great to have that depth emerging. I'm just talking about, like, front line against Michigan. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that's where they'll go with it, but we'll see. Yeah, interesting thing to continue to keep an eye on. We could probably suspect that Malik Hartford will get some extended opportunity on Saturday as well against a maybe more, more overmatched team against Minnesota, but that's injury number one. Nathan, let's just work our way up. The, the defense. So we start in the back end. Let's go to the middle with the linebackers. What did Ryan Day have to say about Josh Proctor and Tommy Eichenberg? And let, we're probably assuming that Tommy Eichenberg doesn't play this week, but let's put this in the Michigan perspective for a second. If they were playing Michigan on Saturday, is the way Ryan Day talked about Josh Proctor and Tommy Eichenberg suggesting that there's a good chance that they would be on the field? If they were playing them Saturday, yeah, I think so. I think more importantly was what Jim Knowles said about Tommy Eichenberg, which somebody asked him about, uh, there was a fun exchange about, hey, did he grunt a little bit more this week um, when you told him he he couldn't play last week? And Jim Knowles kind of joked around about that. And he also said, though, in the course of that, that he, he fought to play last week, which no surprise there. But then Jim Knowles said he could have played. That it wasn't that whatever is wrong with Tommy Eichenberg is not preventing him from playing football. Ohio State is preventing him from playing football in order to keep that injury no worse than it is and make it better so that it, so that it doesn't turn into something that prevents him from playing football. Right. That that's that's what I read into the way Jim Knowles talked about that today, which I think is important. That they're saying, you know. This is a guy that doesn't need the physical reps at this point in his career. It's more about um, getting him as healthy as possible so he can have the maximum impact in that Michigan game, which happens to be against a team that can run the snot out of the ball. So we did see him when we were recording some videos in the Woody. He sort of peeked his head in and then very quickly peeked his head back out because I think he thought he was coming out to the Woody to do some work. And then there's a bunch of us schlubs standing out there. So he couldn't. He had to go do it somewhere else. And I in that brief glimpse, we even like debated talking about ourselves like, did he have a brace on? Like, what did we see? It was almost like one of those like things where in front of the um the professor or whatever has somebody come in and like steal something off his desk and then does like a, like a criminology thing, you know, and it's like, you can find these videos on YouTube, like, all right, now what did that person look like? And then you get like 200 different descriptions. Um, so Tommy Eichenberg was either like 
uh, wearing nothing or was in an iron lung based on like the, the three looks that we got at him. So any, anywhere in that range, um, he's like on his deathbed or uh, he's, he could play tomorrow. I'm not sure, but I'm just joking. He, he, but Maybe we think both. he, we think he'll play <laughs> next week against Michigan. And I, we were even discussing like this, it's senior day, right? And who is senior day made for more than the Tommy Eichenbergs of the world? Like, this is a moment that he and his family have been looking forward to for a long time. And it would seem that if there's a way to get him on the field for a series and you're not worried about getting him hurt, would you try it? I think that's possible. But I also think that Tommy Eichenberg wants to go out as a national champion more than as a guy who played a series on senior day. And if the first thing if sitting down helps him do that first thing, he'll maybe sacrifice that second thing. As much as he wants to play, they can obviously reason with him. He's a football guy. Uh, Josh Proctor, he kind of only mentioned in passing. We were all surprised he didn't play last week. And he he mentioned Proctor with Eichenberg as we're, we're expecting them to have a good week of practice. Sometimes he says very vague things like that, which it tells you kind of nothing and that they'll make a determination more later in the week. I think Proctor is probably in a similar situation with Eichenberg. He's played so many snaps in his career. He's been here long enough that you may pull back on him, even though it's another guy who would be going through senior day, although it's a second senior day for him. Maybe he doesn't play Saturday because you don't need him to play Saturday and get him back in even more full capacity. We're still not sure if it's just concussion protocol that's holding him back or if something else happened. Just because we haven't said his name in a little bit, so let's have some fun with it and say his name. Andrew, we know who two and three are at linebacker. Steel Chambers, Cody Simon. That's who's next up in that situation. Steel Chambers, the other starter. Cody Simon stepped in for Tommy Eichenberg on Saturday. If Tommy Eichenberg doesn't play again this week against Minnesota, he'll probably step in and be the starter. But Jim Knowles did get asked flat out who was number three. Who was next up if Tommy Eichenberg can't play? Who was that? And did he have anything good to say about that five-star recruit? He uh, he said it was C.J. Hicks. Um, you know, I think it is kind of important to note that, um, you know, C.J. is kind of fourth. And when you only play two linebackers, that does kind of bury you a little bit, um, you know, because you got Tommy Eichenberg and you've got Steel Chambers. And when those two are healthy, they're playing. And then when one of them goes down, it's Cody Simon. And then you get to C.J. Hicks. Um, you know, but he did, he did, you know, kind of talk pretty well about CJ he said, you know, he's learning and growing. He's great kid, talented, you know, a couple of those things, a couple of those kind of descriptors when it comes to him. Um, you know, he mentioned that he played, uh, against, uh, Michigan state and that was important. You know, I mean, when you talk about a kid of that caliber and that athleticism and that size and that physicality, like that's a, that's a big deal to have on the field. Um, you just want to get that guy experience, want to get that guy reps. So, um, he would be next if something else were to happen. If like Tommy Eichenberg can't play and uh, Cody Simon gets abducted by aliens at 3.55 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. Kickoff is at four, right? At four? I got that right? Either way, I guess 3.55 yes. p.m. would be fine. Um, so he, I mean, you'll he be there at, like 1.30, 2 o'clock. So like you don't yeah. really have to worry about um, that. But he uh, – so, you know – that that's where they're at with with linebacker. I'm I am curious what this week at linebacker could be because Minnesota does try to run the ball and they I, I don't know if it's that they try to run the ball or that they can't throw it. Probably both. Um, but you know one of their running backs, um, I believe his name is Darius Taylor. He's been out for a while. You know he's been kind of flirting with coming back for a while. Like Minnesota can run the ball, and I think this could be while not 
anywhere near the caliber of Michigan. I think you could maybe get some glimpses as to what schemes and what kind of looks Ohio State's Ohio State's defense could give, um, you know, in, in situations like that. So I'm curious what the linebacker rotation looks like if Tommy can't go. Because if Tommy can't go, or if Tommy does play, excuse me, then you're pretty. Then I think it's pretty, pretty, you know, cut and dry, pretty black and white. You have Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and then whenever you feel like Cody Simon, like Cody Simon played a big game against Notre Dame, and then you can kind of bring him in in those situations. I'm curious if Tommy can't go. Like, is that a situation where CJ Hicks plays a lot on Saturday? I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't- um, it'll be just like what it was this past weekend. I don't think much changes because they don't put three linebackers on the field. And if, and even if they do, the Sonny Styles will just be the same linebacker. Well, that, the that's the thing. Does Sonny so walk down? Like, do, how I much does that change yeah. with well with the game too? Like, the, yeah, if the I game think, gets to be Michigan State level, I'm curious about. There's a lot of oh, kind of moving. It to be parts Michigan here. State level. It'll just be if if Cody Simon and Steel Chambers' this day is done because the game is out of hand and they want to play young guys. The next two guys up are going to be Gabe Powers and C.J. Hicks. Yeah, I think it's a better question for Michigan. If if Tommy Eichenberg, for some reason, yeah. couldn't play against Michigan and you want to play at that three-linebacker look where, where Sonny mm-hmm. used to play the Sam, because you used to be able to more easily do that with Lathan Ransom over the top. And now mm-hmm. if Lathan Ransom's not on the field and you have Sonny up there, are you where do, where do you go at Sam linebacker there? Is that where maybe Jihad Carter comes in and you do play Sonny at Sam, mm-hmm. that would probably be my inclination as to what they did if they really felt like that was the alignment that they needed. But it's worth asking. I don't think it's going to come to that. I would, I would expect Tommy Eichenberg to, um, you know, put whatever he's allowed to put on his arm if needed to play against Michigan. And uh, but it's worth it's worth considering just because of the status that he's at right now. Yeah, because I yeah, because the the other option. Because Cody Simon has been their Sam linebacker in the past, but if, if Tommy Eichenberg isn't playing, then you know he's he's going to be your Mike linebacker already. So that is an interesting discussion to get into. If Tommy Eichenberg is has some significant step setback and can't play next weekend up at Ann Arbor, made our way down to the front to to the front end, guys. Nathan Michael Hall played ten snaps against Michigan State. Did they have an update uh, for why? that happened and then whether or not he's going to be available and, and then just get into, I, I think Jim Knowles got asked a little bit about the depth at defensive tackle. Is that something that becomes a little bit more important in a, in a game like this, where you may or may not know if Michael Hall is going to be available for you? I don't know that it's more important against Minnesota, but it's again, one of those things to keep in mind for Michigan, which is a team that's going to run the ball very well and always has a solid offensive line or at least has for the last few years, obviously keep, you know, winning national awards for it. So he did not have any update on Mike Hall, which to hear that on Tuesday is not encouraging at all for Saturday. So I would almost, but again, just trying to read between the lines, I read, don't expect him to play Saturday. And it, it isn't especially optimistic for the week after that, frankly, because he's talking about him in the way that he, you know, this is, it's probably too far to make the jump. But when he has talked about guys with like no specificity about their availability this close to a game, it usually isn't good. So it's definitely an issue. Like he's one of their best defensive tackles. The penetration that he creates in the middle of that defensive line is important. But 
It's also an area where they do trust their depth at least a little bit. It's probably just going to mean like Tyleek Williams will have to play. We're talking about Michigan here. If Mike Hall can't play against Michigan. Now you're talking about a, a, a very big snaps game from Tyleek Williams, which, by the way, he is prepared for. He has been preparing for that all season. That's been kind of one of the hallmarks of his breakthrough here this year is how deep he can go in a game. You know that Ty Hamilton is an experienced option there. You've got Jade McKenzie, who is a senior guy that can you you can play there. And then Hero Canoe has really come on here down the stretch. And he's only been playing like 10, 12 snaps a game, but he's made plays. And if you have to work him into a bigger part of the rotation, I would expect him to play probably a season high of snaps against Minnesota. And maybe that sets him up to be able to make an impact against Michigan if Mike Hall can't play. That's definitely on the table. Uh, the other thing to remember is the thing that they've experimented with. I mean, Rushman package has been there all along. So that could be a thing that if you get Michigan into those third down situations, third and passing situations, you're already probably going to be playing that Rushman package anyway. So now you're talking about you've already got someone, an end that you're putting inside to fill in for my call. That could mm-hmm. be Caden Curry. It could be Jack Sawyer, what they've, they've addressed here recently. So you've got those options on third down where you can replace from outside the defensive tackle room or defensive tackle unit to to get somebody else on the interior, but it hurts them on early downs. Like I don't, again, it's kind of like the Lathan ransom thing. Like, yes, they've got op- options, but if he can't play against Michigan, their defensive line isn't as good as it would be if they had my call against Michigan. Hero Canoe was Ohio State's highest graded player coming out of the Michigan State game. Now he only played 11 snaps, 89.7 PFF grade coming out of that game. He has flashed at times, even in a small role. This is a, Regardless, if this game plays out anything similar to the Michigan State game, I do think I agree with you, Nathan, that he probably gets a career high snaps. Maybe he's in the 20s just to get him out there and get him rolling a little bit. Because since there's no update on Mike Hall, even if he plays next week, you're probably not thinking he's 100%. So you might need that depth a little bit more going into a game like Michigan, who's going to run the ball. I would have, on the interior, Larry Johnson might have to go a little bit deeper into his rotation than he necessarily did against Penn State, against Notre Dame, because Michigan is almost stubbornly going to run the ball. It can be th- it was third and nine against Penn State, and they were running the ball in those situations as well. So I do I think that's important to start continuing to build that depth heading into the Michigan game. Last injury update, apparently something happened. Nathan and I weren't at the game. Andrew, I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but pregame against Michigan State, Devin Brown goes down. Ryan Day called it a setback. And expects him to be back in the lineup this week. He, he said he has to survive warmups, which is an oh, interesting way to put things. But that's the other update there. Devin Brown obviously hasn't played, I think, since the Penn State game in a real way. So I would expect him to have a similar situation as what we saw the last two weeks, as he told Nathan, where if it's an emergency and it's in the second quarter, I think he plays, Nathan. But if it's a well-decided game, I think it's probably safe to say we see more of Lincoln Keenholz and maybe Tristan Jebby if he's able to go. Uh, so I didn't see it, actually, um, okay. when when Devin got hurt. I, you know, I was, there was a part of warm-ups where I was down on the field, you know, because all the recruits come off the field, and then there was a part of warm-ups where I was going up. Um, so I didn't see him get re, I didn't see him re-injure it or anything like that. So I, I, I wish I could give you kind of more descriptors on that. Um, but with with Devin, I, I thought that the interesting thing that Ryan said was that he would have played earlier, like Devin Brown would have played earlier. They would have pulled McCord quicker. They would have had a quicker hook for him um, had McCord or excuse me, had Brown been available. 
Um, so I did think that was kind of interesting that, you know, okay, so once it got to a point, they were actively looking to get McCord out there or out of there. And they, you know, they wanted to give Lincoln Keenholz. Like I know we had, um, some of our textures, Nathan and I talked about this on the post game pod. Um, you know, some of our textures were texted in, you know, why don't, you know, let Lincoln throw the ball. Like, let's see him throw it. Like, let's see what he can, let's see what he can do. Um, you know, that, I think they did what he could. I think, um, you know, it was a pretty, pretty shortened playbook at that point. So, you know, with, with Devin, I think, again, if it's like, I don't know what that limit is and I'm curious to see it because if you get to, I mean, I like, they played a, a senior day game in 2017 against Illinois and they beat the snot out of Illinois and they got up like 28, nothing. And as soon as it got up 28, nothing in the first quarter, it was like, all right, let's play all the seniors. Let's get all the seniors in there. Let's get all the backups and the starters out of there because we got Michigan next week. And I'm curious if you don't have a similar situation this week. So maybe we'll see Devin Brown. Maybe we might see first half Devin Brown this week. If Ohio state can kind of take care of business. I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think Nathan, am I missing anybody on the injury front? Oh, who knows? Uh, those are the the ones that we know. There's always yeah. somebody, yeah, right? Know. There's always yeah. somebody that's yeah. banged up that we don't necessarily have a, a grip on yet. So something to not to, not to freak people out. It's football, man. Like it's football, yeah. and they've been doing this. And listen, um, I think you brought this point up recently, Andrew. That this is you know week seven of eight straight games. And that's a little bit of an anomaly, right? Like they, you usually have more like around week six, seven, you take your your off week. This year, they did it after four weeks. And it happened at a really interesting place because you got to have the Notre Dame game and then a break. And then like, then you move on into the full Big Ten portion of your schedule. But I think they are probably feeling the effects of it a little bit right now. And I would be, I agree with Andrew that as long as they can like go out and like, do something similar to what happened last week against Michigan State and and put it away early. I think you're going to see things probably uh, benches maybe empty a little bit faster even than they did. Well, not benches empty. That that implies a brawl. The bench empty <laughs> faster than uh, you did last week even. I mean, we don't predict the future. That might happen too. Who knows? It's football, man. Physical things happen out there. But that's the injuries. That's the new. That's the. Injury news portion of this podcast. We'll take a break there. Get the text 614-350-3315 as we're back in the Woody on Wednesday night. We'll be looking around to see who looks like they practice or at least has pads on and whatnot. And we'll be texting that information to you first when we get to the game on Saturday when the availability report comes out. We'll text that to you first, but we'll also give you the content text that's needed with that availability report because – I mean, we all know what it is with that availability report. There's names on it, and then sometimes there's not names on it of people who end up being questionable and weren't on the list. But get the text, 614-350-3315. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Ohio State's offensive line did something very interesting on Saturday, and we got a chance to talk with Ryan Day about why they made that decision, and we'll get more into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State beat Michigan State. 38 to 3 on Saturday. And then for about 10 snaps of that game, I believe, Nathan, Ohio State took its starting center, Carson Hensman, out the game. And they left the rest of the starting offensive line out there. They just took Carson Hensman out of the game. They slid Matthew Jones over from right guard to center and put Enoch Bamahi into the game. And when we were doing the rewatch of the Penn State Michigan State game, well, excuse me, Penn State Michigan game, while also talking a little bit of Ohio State Michigan State game. On Monday, Nathan, we both thought that was pretty interesting that they decided to do that two weeks before they have to play Michigan. They got asked about it. 
what was the reason they made that decision? Is it something that we need to be keeping our eyes on over the next two weeks as Ohio State prepares to play Michigan a week from Saturday in a team that's got a pretty stout defensive tackle situation? Well, it's something that we've long speculated is that if they need another center, that Matt Jones can be that center. This is really like the third year in a row where we've thought that. In 2021, Matt Jones was like the sixth man on the offensive line. And, you know, Luke Whipler was in his first year as a starter. And, you know, that was the year that Harry Miller's status was kind of, uh, you know, up and down for much of the season as to his situation. And it was always kind of assumed that if they needed a center, Matt Jones could be that center because he was the number one center prospect in the country per the 247 composite coming out of high school at, uh, in Brooklyn. And he has a background there. Uh, but he's never actually taken a snap at center in a game. And we even thought last year when Whipler um, had some injury issues too, or was he never missed any time, but was was banged up here and there, that maybe that would have been their option to go to there. And it never came to that. But, and then obviously and then in the offseason, Whipler leaves and we think, well, maybe that's just Matt Jones is going to move over and start. In fact, we had done some predicting the starting lineups and I had at one point thought that's what they would do because they had more depth at guard. This is before some of the transfers had happened. So this was the first indication that we had, other than having seen him snap in practice a little bit, that Ohio State is really considering him playing him at center in a game. In fact, they played him at center in a game. And Ryan Day definitely had an opportunity today to dispel the notion that they are looking at that as like a contingency plan. And he didn't do that. He didn't say we're definitely considering a change, but I think with the way the rest of the offensive line has played relative to the way Carson Hinsman has played in the last few weeks, I mean, he's, he's given up more pressures than anybody else on this offensive line. Um, he had a snap recently uh, that was an issue. I, he is the youngest. He is the guy that I think had the toughest adjustment this year, like even more so than uh, Josh Simmons, Hensman was coming. He's in his second year, but had never played center before he got here. Had never been, even when he did do some stuff in high school, he was in a, a wing T system, I think, or flex bone or something like it was, he had never done a shotgun snap until like last winter. And now you're expecting him to be the starting center on a team that wants to win the big 10 and, and compete for the national championship. Like that's a pretty big jump. And he's held his own at times this year and done good things. And I think he is the, you know, the center long term here and it's a position where frankly it would be nice for them to get old and stay old and have a maybe like a four-year center instead of having guys who are here like second year third year and gone um, it would give them some stability at that position but if you know we saw this last year right like Matt Jones couldn't play he aggravated that ankle injury against Maryland couldn't play in the Michigan game they started Enoch Vamahi at right guard in that game and after a couple of series they were like no like Josh Fryer went in and played right guard the rest of that game. And I think I would just be open to that kind of a quick hook, maybe being on the table. But I also wonder if it would have to be something fairly drastic for them to do that. I don't know, because um, there is something to be said for whatever has been going on with Carson Hensman, the mix of your offensive line has been working much better in the past few weeks than it was early this season. And the offensive line cohesion is not, I think, just a theory. I think it's a real thing. And you've started to see it play out over the course of this season. So would they consider making this change 
a potential disruption to that? And then what if you do change and you have a problem elsewhere on the offensive line? Now, what have you done? Like, what have you, what have you cost yourself? It's, it's not an easy decision, I don't think. So I'm not necessarily expecting it to happen, but I think it, the fact that they played him even just for those 10 snaps, uh, because full disclosure, like I got it, we got a text about this, I think on Saturday or Sunday, and I responded to it, somebody asking about that. And I was, at first I was like, you know, it's a blowout. Enoch Vamahi's been here forever and has really put up with, you know, being a, a veteran backup and maybe they just wanted to get him some time. But then the more you think about it, it's like, well, that doesn't explain why Carson Hensman came out of the game though. Like this was clearly about getting Matt Jones centered snaps. And I think that it's definitely on the table if they need it. Andrew, when you listen to what Ryan Day had to say about why they made that decision, what do you think the chances are that we see a different offensive line starting unit against Michigan next Saturday or at any point in that game? Well, I think those are two different questions. I think the starting lineup, I would say they're, I think the odds of that are very high. Uh, Ryan said that they're not making a change to the front five against Minnesota. So you know you're going into that game with the same five that you had. And I would bet a fair amount of money that they're going to go into Michigan with the same five that they've gone into every other game this year with. The thing that that I the thing that I think changes that is like is that the line that they're going to stick with? And I think what they're doing is smart for a couple of different reasons. Um, number one, you're giving yourself an exit ramp with Carson Hinsman in case it's just not going to fly. Um, you know, what's the saying? Like that dog won't hunt. Like if that's, if that's, if, if it's just not working against Michigan, there you go. Right. Like you, you have experience. You are not sending one of your offensive linemen who starts at another position into the lion's den and saying, Hey, figure this out on the fly. Like this is a, you know, you have to, you have to deal with the crowd noise for a crowd that is going to be very amped up for that game. You're going to have to deal with weather. Maybe you're going to have to deal with, you know, quarterback and signals and point. You're going to have to deal with everything. And what you're doing, I think, is you're building that up to say we're ready in case we have we have a reserve parachute now that we are making sure can deploy if we need it, because this is the other part of this that I think is also kind of important to note here. This offensive line has played together all year, and Nathan brought it up too. Like, chemistry on the offensive line is not a myth. It's not something that people just mindlessly spout off because it sounds nice. Like, chemistry on the offensive line matters. And you've seen this line progress every single week, it feels like. You know, there have been, you know, weeks where it's been ugly, and there have been weeks where it hasn't been great. But you've seen them get better. I think objectively, there's no way that you can say that they have not gotten better since that Indiana game, you know, since that Western Kentucky game. I, I, they've, they've clearly gotten better. But what, so what, you, what you're doing is you're giving yourself a backup option, I think, at center, which is important. But you're also kind of buying yourself a little bit of insurance, I think, I guess, I guess maybe figuratively and literally when it comes to the health of the offensive line. Um, you know, like what happens if somebody gets abducted by aliens during that game, somebody, somebody can't play and, or, you know, here, I'll I'll use this as an example. Uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I I covered the Bengals last year. 
And their offensive line was really bad at the beginning of the year. They were all new guys coming together. They were all new playing together. Everything was, you know, it, it was a mess for a couple of weeks. And then by the end of the year, they were actually playing pretty well. And against the Patriots on Christmas Eve, Lael Collins blew his knee out. And then they had the DeMar Hamlin game where it was like two drives. And then the next game, somebody blows his, or somebody blows his ankle out. And the fall, it was Alex Kappa. The following game in the playoffs against the Ravens, Jonah Williams blows his, blows his knee out. And then it's like, you were healthy all year. And then you get to the point of the time or the point in time when you need the offensive line to play its best football and three of them are on the shelf. And they just didn't have, they played pretty well against Buffalo in the divisional round, but you can't keep that up for forever. Like what happens if this team has to play Alabama or Georgia and the offensive line, which we're, I think we're still on kind of shaky ground with as a whole, like how good they can really be. What happens if you have to play an Alabama or a Georgia or a whoever, or a, you know, a team with a really good defensive line in the college football playoff and you have an injury or two? You know, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're throwing guys in cold and they've never played with one another or they have very limited reps with one another. I think this just kind of builds some stuff up because as much as this is about Matt Jones at center, Enoch Vamahi hasn't really played guard all year. And I think getting him some reps is important. You can get him in the mix because he can play left or the right side. So you get him some reps. At tackle, I mean, tackle's an interesting conversation on its own as to who could go in there. But, you know, I, I think you're just building yourself up in a lot of different ways that could be beneficial to you, frankly, in a way that you don't have to or you don't want to have to use. Like the, off, like the offensive side of the ball, I guarantee you, Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and, and all the offensive guys, they would love to not make a change on, on the offensive line. They would love for the offensive line to just play well enough and this is just quality depth and quality backup and quality reserve play. And that's what you're doing. And that's totally fine. So this to me is just for a multitude of different reasons. You're just building this up to make sure that, hey, if it goes haywire against Michigan, if it goes haywire against Minnesota or the Big Ten championship game or the college football playoff or whatever, you're protected. Nathan, what did you think of the way Ryan Day talked about Josh Simmons today? Because obviously that was a a clear problem yeah. at the beginning of the year. And it seems like he settled in at that left tackle spot. He was kind of a, a glowing response. Now I wouldn't, he, he didn't come out and say, I think he's played great every snap of the way. Right. Like that's, that's not yeah. what's happened. And he's not going to try to, to, to blow smoke on that. But he did. He was a very uh, complimentary of, just his overall play and maybe the overall progression he's made this year. And the fact that, um, that he has had some really what he considers like impressive moments that there are flashes of the player. He is, they think he's going to be someday. It's just been inconsistent this year, which I don't think surprises anybody, but uh, you know, in general, he has had some better games over the the second half of the season. Um, I think it's just a matter of, with him, maybe for this whole offensive line, you know, it's been steady progress, steady progress, steady progress. And now you're going to play one of the best defensive lines in the country. And they faced some other good defensive fronts. You know, Indiana had what we thought at the time was a pretty solid defensive front. And the way, especially that they, they schemed that game up, gave Ohio State's offensive line some problems. You know, Penn State, obviously a very good defensive line. Notre Dame has some guys on the defensive line. Even Rutgers has some guys on the defensive line. I mean, there's there's been some some decent fronts along the way. 
but Michigan's a step up. So I think it's a matter of because they've been making this steady progress, when when something does go wrong, when there is a, a moment, when you get beat, like Michigan's going to win some one-on-one battles. They're too good. So when you get beat, what happens on the next play? Or how do you minimize how badly you get beat without causing a penalty, without you know making something worse? Like it, those are all factors here. Like what what about these pa- this past month has put these guys in a better position to handle what is going to be just an insane atmosphere? And again, that's the other thing that falls on the offensive line shoulders more than anything else. I mean, Tom McCord in this offensive line, like how do they handle what is going to be? is always a hostile environment and is going to be a insanely hostile environment uh, in two weeks. Last thing I want to end with this, just because this is now week three in a row, really like week four in a row of somebody trying to find a way to dress up a question I asked Ryan Day about Michigan. And he didn't take the bait again. Not really. He didn't really take the bait with the whole America team thing. But are we expecting anything to change? when we talk with Ryan Day next Tuesday, when he actually does have to talk about Michigan? Like, are we expecting him to address any of this that has happened over the past three or four or five weeks here in terms of Michigan? Or how are we expecting him to deal with Michigan questions next week? Because that is actually their opponent. And he can't just put it off to, we have to focus on what's in front of us right now. Nathan, you can go first. Well, he can put off the opinions about the allegations and and things mm-hmm. like that. Like he, I don't expect him to delve into that because you are doing nothing but uh, disturbing a wasp's nest when you do that. Like this is already a Michigan program that feels aggrieved for whatever reason and is is playing the victim card in their heads. And why feed into that at all? Like he he danced up to it today. He was asked, you know, Tim May. I'm not gonna do the Tim May impression, but Tim May asked him, "Are you North America's team? Are you Buckeye Nation's team? Like who are you?" And Ryan Day didn't go there, but he did give a response where he talked about how much he, you know, it's been a long journey to get to November and how much he, you know, cares about his team and likes his team and, and all those things. I, I did post something on uh, our site about it. If people want to, you know, read the, the answer in full, but I think next week he will talk with specificity about the rivalry potentially and what it means and and what it's like to be going in after not winning this game two years in a row, because that has nothing to do in some ways with all this circus. Although I guess it it sort of tangentially does, but I expect him to sidestep that. I don't expect him to come in and say, well, we haven't had a fair game against them in two years and it'll be time that we do. I don't expect anything like that. I expect him to come in and want to talk about how good Donovan Edwards and Blake Corm are and how far JJ McCarthy's come and what it's like to try to, defend their tight ends and this offensive line's always good. Like he can talk about X and O football things against Michigan about Michigan. When we talk to him next Tuesday and go really deep with it. And I sort of expect him to do that. Um, I think he will save anything else for after the game. And then it depends on whether they win or not. If they win, maybe he'll want to unload it that day and have some things he wants to say. If they lose, um, Maybe he still will, but then in that case, maybe he'll save it for a more appropriate time because uh, it's it's it wouldn't probably be the best time to uh, to what can you say at that point? Like you know that there isn't stuff going on 
right now. He made answer. I would imagine he would answer questions that we had at that point about like how much did you have to change your preparation because of the things that were alleged, those sorts of things. I think he will address them after the game, win or lose. But as far as like getting into too much of a squabble next week or 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 thumping your chest or trying to rub Michigan's nose in anything. By the way, there's a hearing on Friday. We don't know what else is going to come out regarding Michigan between now and the kickoff of the game, and we don't know if Jim Harbaugh is going to be on the sideline for that game. So. I expect him to deflect anything controversial. I expect him to talk about football until this game happens. And then once the game happens, then the court comes off the ball. Andrew, you agree with that? Yeah, there's just no benefit to like he's like like what's the benefit of him of somebody cuz he's going to get asked in 750 different ways next week. Something about the Michigan stuff and the sign stealing and and everything like that. Like, there's no benefit for him to do the Ryan Walters thing and say, "Well, let me correct your question. They're not allegations that have like." There's no benefit for him to do that. You know, there's no benefit for him to call them cheaters or to say this or to say that because you've already got you know. And there have been a lot of people that have written about this. You know, we have a story up on our side about this. Like the Michigan players, as Nathan was referring to, like they're very much taking this as a Michigan against everybody, Michigan against the world or whatever their shirts say. Like wh- why, like why, why would you throw gasoline onto that? Because right now it's just, it's kind of the abstract, the big, t- it's, it's a little bit like, I guess the Lou Holtz thing all over again, like it, but for Michigan, yeah. because like Michigan right now is looking at it as like, yeah. there's this abstract, everybody's against us everybody's telling and like, yeah, they have the big 10 and yeah, they're after the big 10 and they're not exactly friendly with Tony Petiti right now and everything like that. But the last thing you want to do, and like this happened the Friday before the Notre Dame game, the last thing you want is for a face to be put to that allegation or those, I guess allegation is the wrong word in this context, but like the, the face to be put to those comments, right? Like, because that he was like, Ryan Day was able to look at Lou Holtz and say, Former, however, whether you want to say Lou Holtz has a connection to Notre Dame anymore or no, I, I, however you want to view that, he was able to look at his players and say, a former national championship winning head coach who coached for this school basically called you guys a bunch of babies and called you guys that you were, told you guys you were soft and told you guys you weren't tough and told you guys that you couldn't win big games and said that this program couldn't win big games. And Lou Holtz, go get him. Like that was kind of the mentality of this, right? Like the like we joked about this after the game. Like how many Ohio State players really knew like who Lou Holtz was or like understood the history of Lou Holtz in college football? Probably not a ton, but I guarantee you all of them were like, we're going to prove Lou Holtz and everybody else wrong. The last thing you want is for Michigan players to have the head coach of Ohio State saying all this stuff. And then they go, oh, wait a minute. It's not just, you know, the, the, the fans are trying to tear us down or the media is trying to tear us down. The head coach of the team we're about to play is trying to tear us down? No, absolutely do not. Stay away. And if you win, uh, you deserve the right to say anything you want. You could get into that press conference and you could do your sideline interview with Fox as soon as the game is over. Anything you want to say, I think, is fair game at that point. So if you want to go nuts, go nuts. But before the game, I would expect him to. And frankly, if I were advising him to say, like advising him on what to do, I would tell him, hey, shut your yap. Wait until Saturday at like four o'clock. 
so he didn't do any of that though until, as you say, after the game. Like he didn't he didn't say it in a halftime interview or a pregame interview. Or he didn't say it when the team got to the hotel Friday night. He did wait until after the game, and then also you are there. You're dealing with like an accusation from just this one guy, and uh, yeah, and, and that was building for a couple of years too. Not against Lou Holtz, but against the general idea of Ohio State being. Soft and and the reflection that it was on him, right? So uh, he was he was keyed up to give that speech uh, long before that moment. Um, With this one, I I guess I would I would back off of what I said earlier, being a hundred percent for sure, because there is a part of me that wonders if you know Ohio State knows more than is probably publicly known about the extent of this. And about the extent of um, how they believe it affected the game each of the last two years, you know, costing them wins, costing them p- potentially, potentially costing or contributing to why they didn't win those games, why they didn't win Big Ten championships, why they didn't go to the playoff one year, why C.J. Stroud didn't win the Heisman Trophy either year. Like you can, you can make arguments that if these things proven true. Um, deprived Ohio State of important things. So I think there's a there is a part of me that wonders if he will want to, before the game happens, win or lose, want to stick up for his players and his program. But I also I, it's just it's a it's a tricky footing when there is going to be a zero sum result at the end of the weekend and. Uh, you may just want to not give them that fodder. You know, you may just want to well, and it, keep I, that close to the vest. I would not be shocked. He doesn't typically give statements before you ask for questions, but I don't know if I would be totally shocked in the in the in the least viral way possible, just yeah. to like eliminate people from asking those questions on Tuesday. Me, I won't be shocked if it's something like. We know this is out here. We're not going to deal with it. We un- we're acknowledging that this exists, but we're not dealing with it. I'll answer any questions that don't have to do with this umbrella of topics. Yeah, let me actually read what he said today, because I think you're on to something that he may come out and say, I'm not going to answer any questions about sign stealing or uh, scouting or um, those things. Um, here's what I want to say about my program. Something like that, because here's what he said today mm-hmm. after – Tim May asked him that question. And I guess just to preempt that, I should go back and say, this is what Jim Harbaugh said yesterday. This has got to be America's team. America loves a team that beats the odds, beats the adversity, overcomes the naysayers, critics, so-called experts thing. Overcomes what? The naysayers, critics, and so-called experts thing. And pretty uh, pretty tone-deaf <laughs> statement to me as someone who has watched like the way people respond to the Houston Astros respond, watch people the way they responded to the new England Patriots, you know, a, a program that wasn't like widely liked their franchise wasn't widely liked before Spygate and before deflate gate. And then those mm-hmm. things definitely like, soured their reputation. I think a little bit, although in both cases, those teams just kept winning after those scandals. Um, anyway, Ryan day was asked that question by Tim may today. And his response was, First of all, I thought, good question. It's almost like he wanted somebody to bring it up. I think he wanted somebody to bring it up. And he has taken a pass on everything else around this so far, right? Other than when I asked him last week about the 
the allegation that they had shared information with Purdue ahead of the Big Ten championship game last year. So again, there yeah. he was. There he was answering a direct attack or a direct uh, not attack, but like insinuation about his team. It was a question mm-hmm. about his team, not about Michigan, really. So today he says, "Good question." It's been a long road to get to November, and each team has its own identity. Each team has its own dynamics, has its own journey. So here we are in November, and I can tell you this. Coming to work every day with these guys, the consistency, the maturity, the competitiveness, the look in their eye, this is a great team to be around. Great guys. I go back to this. It's about these guys on the team. It's about the guys that put it on the line every single Saturday in the game and put the work in here. So we're going to do it again this week and keep swinging. And it was sort of just a an it's a way to to say all we have to worry about right now is football. That's all we're doing. We're coming mm-hmm. to work and thinking about football. We don't have to go to a court hearing. We don't have to meet with lawyers. We are just playing football. That's all we're doing this week, and that's all we're doing next week. I just think that was sort of a subtle um, opinion, a, a subtle vibe that he wanted to to get out there, that there is a contrast right now between how these teams are going into this game. And I, that's why I told you to go ahead and read it first because that, that was going to help me make my point. I thought what he said today was the thing you say when you have to say something, but it's not the thing you completely want to say yet. Because I think the things he wants to say, he can't say until after re- the results come out next Saturday. No different than when Jim Har said, Harbaugh went, you know, some teams are born on third base and they think they hit a triple. You can't say that when you lose the football game. Because it doesn't sting the same. You come off a little different. So whatever he might want to say, he's got to wait another 10 days at four, around 4 o'clock, depending on what that scoreboard says, before he can say that type of thing. But so, I think the, oh, it's been a long road back to November. I think back to what you were talking about, Andrew, with the Lou Holtz situation. I remember when we were in that small little cramped up room listening to him still continue on about the Lou Holtz thing, it was – we had one bad half up in Ann Harbor two years ago. And I understand they lost last year, but so much of the reputation that has been built from a negative standpoint about this Ohio State football program started in the second half up in Ann Arbor two years ago. And now they're about to go back up to Ann Arbor and basically try to disprove all that stuff while ter- flip this rivalry around before this thing really gets haywire for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan up there. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, going back to what Nathan said about, you know, kind of being subtle, it, it is a tricky line, I think, for him to try and navigate and to try and to try and tow next week, because the last thing you want to do is say, I mean, because you would be setting yourself up if you, I mean, if you say something like, you know, if somebody asks you a question about Michigan and their sign ceiling and you say, you know, well, I'll, I'll say this, we follow the rules here or something like that. Like, so even if it's just, even if you're not saying Michigan broke the rules, if you're just saying like, we follow the rules, it's going to yeah, get, but Michigan, that's too, it, it's, yeah, that's that's, but you get what I'm saying? Like it, you gotta be, you gotta be careful because whatever happens, like if you lose that game, then it gets thrown back at you immediately right after that. And then, you know, you're, cause whatever he has to say on the matter, you're pro, like, unless they win. Like if he if they win, I would encourage Ryan Day to say whatever's on his mind. But you know, if they lose, this isn't something that you can say the Tuesday after the game that, hey, you know, actually, you know, I'm actually really upset that they cheated and whatever, because then it just looks like you have sour grapes. And then it it, it, it I don't think the image would look as good if you come out and say all of these things afterwards. So it's a it's a tricky line for him and and I'm I'm curious to see how he does it, but 
yeah, I, I think I think kind of less is going to be more next week for him. I just think there is something poetic to the – it's been a long road back to November, especially a lot of – not every single member of that 2021 recruiting class had something to do with that loss in 2021. In fact, a lot of these guys were in the background of that, outside of guys like Denzel Burke and JT Tremola and maybe two – and Travion Henderson. But that was the first class who got introduced to the rivalry with a loss at Ohio State in a very long time. And now they're going back fully formed two years later – looking to kind of redeem themselves a little bit. And I think there's something poetic in that. So I, I'm i glad you read it here, Nathan. I'm glad there's a post on our site about it because, that, like I said earlier, that was a way to talk about what's going on without talking about what was going on and not being able to do it the way you want to talk about it yet. That's almost It's almost like that's the G version of it. And depending on what happens up in Ann Arbor 10 days from now, we might, we're not going to get an R rated version of it, but we might get the PG or PG 13 version of that. So he's, I agree with you guys. So I don't think he's going to touch it with a 10 foot pole because there's nothing, there's not worth doing it. But I do think he might try to get ahead of it before there's like 30 of us in there before 12 of the questions are about something that he doesn't want to talk about right now because he can't talk about it right now. That should wrap up this pod. Big pod on Thursday. We're talking Marvin Harrison Jr. We're talking Mount Buckmore. Two years ago, we did about Mount Buckmore's for a lot of different position groups here, and a lot has changed with that wide receiver room since we did that. In fact, when we did it, there was nobody from this current run who made the Mount Buckmore, and only one person from this current run of wide receivers who was even really in the conversation, and that was Chris Olave. Well, since then, that year when we did it, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Booker were true freshmen. They're both third-year guys now who have accomplished a lot of different things. And so I thought it would be right heading into what is potentially Marvin Harrison Jr.'s last game in Columbus to kind of wrap up his career by seeing where he falls in a conversation like that. How do we update that wide receiver, Mount Buckmore? So that will be the Thursday pod. If you want to participate in the survey going around right now, get the text 614-350-3315, two-week free trial. 399 after that that's the thursday pod and the friday pod we'll be previewing ohio state versus minnesota and then it gets fun right after that game we're going to do a post game pod about minnesota and then we're not going to talk about minnesota anymore everything we do going forward is going to be about ohio state and michigan next saturday in ann arbor at noon go ahead nathan you have one more thing you want to say i would not even i would not guarantee that that post game pod will be about minnesota (laughs) i think we'll probably at some point in the pod say the word minnesota uh, but there's a, there's a chance that Minnesota is an afterthought by the time we record that pod. That, that's a that's a fair statement. So the word Minnesota will be said in the intro of welcome to your post game pod after Ohio State Minnesota's game. But yeah, he, Nathan's probably right. We're not going to be talking about Minnesota anymore after that. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.